snap. It's the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show is sponsored by Cheshire Impact. On a mission to maximize your use of marketing automation and CRM, CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Now, today's guest is amazing. Her resume, her, her background, the things, uh, the, all the things. And I must tell you, she is the CEO and founder of Demand Maven. And I found this description, and I don't know if it's still the same, but I love it. And this is the Hardcore Marketing Podcast. The description of Demand Maven I found was helping SaaS startups and companies get their marketing shit together. So all you out there, you startup CEOs, y'all pay attention here. So she's also fun. She's really fun. She's passionate. She's a passionate marketer. Asia, welcome. Say hi. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I know there's, there's more too, but I wanted to introduce you. There's more. You speak multiple languages. Yes, and which uh, we're gonna, Japanese and Spanish. Yeah, we're going to have you just give us samples and uh, later. And then you also did something just right up front. I want people, you know, they're, they're tuning in. Do I want to listen to this particular episode? The answer is check yes, because you did something. Uh, which we will talk about where it's something we can all do in your marketing program that literally doubled your conversion rates. And it's something practical. It's something useful. And we're going to get into that. But, but welcome to the show. How, how is it going? It's going great. Um, we just got through a really intense storm in here in the Southeast and we're all alive. Uh, but overall, doing pretty good. Sun's out, guns out. <laughs> Sun's out, guns out. You know what? I think we're about to get that storm up here too. Everyone's trying to fly in and out of Boston right now. So yeah, whatever you had, we're about to have. It's almost like a cold. <laughs> but you know, li listen, the, uh, the theme, we are chatting about this earlier, theme this month, and we're, we're going to talk you know, several items about this and some other things on marketing. The theme is all around that marketing automation maturity model, the idea of even just marketing maturity model before you start building random things, before you start sending random emails and harassing your buyers, you got to do certain things. And, you know, we talked in January about knowing your buyer, eventually setting up reporting to really understand things. And, you know, this month we talked a lot about content marketing, different channels are out there. So I want to pass you the baton and say, is there anything on the hardcore marketing podcast that you want to smash? Because we love smashing myths, bullshit strategy that people have been passing out around for decades, or maybe it worked in the eighties and it doesn't work now. Like anything you want to smash right up front. Yeah. Um, so the first, and this is something that I think that a lot of marketers and especially founders, uh, they're, they're seeing a ton of in there. I'm sure they're wondering, is this for me? Do I need to be worried about this? But um, the difference between growth hacking, growth marketing, and that it appears like it happens overnight. <laughs> okay. Break the, down the definitions for me on, on, on these growth hacking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and this is, this is where Sean Ellis, if you're listening, um, I apologize. In Shout out. But, <laughs> uh, so, we definitely seen this huge movement that's called like the growth movement, um, where growth is something that is cross-functional. It's the whole team that's involved. Um, and then we also kind of see the growth hacks. Now, mm. definitions wise, 
I think that there's definitely uh, some crossover between both. Some people use them synonymously. For today's conversation, I definitely want to draw the dichotomy between the two. Um, growth hacking is usually channel specific. It's within a very specific uh, platform channel. It could be um, through a specific provider. So for example, uh, using an emoji in your subject line, whenever you send out emails, it can, it can increase your open rate by X, some X percent. Really? Like a little smiley face? It's a little smiley face. Um, actually, one of the most common ones, and this is one of the ones that um, gets my CEO every time, or at least my, my CEO from my previous organization. Um, if you use uh, like one of like the bullet emojis before your subject line, it sticks out from all of the other ones. <laughs> but like, but in, in the very beginning of your subject line. Tricky, um, yeah. But, I think so, I would try to use like a pirate or <laughs> the monkey or, you know what? I really like the one where the, there's, they're winking and the tongue is sticking out. That's kind of like my thing. <laughs> That's my spirit animal is like the winky tongue stick out. Which one would yours be? Oh man. Um, <laughs> so my favorite to this day is still the claps, the clap emoji. The, like the little clapping happy face? Or just uh, no, clapping. like just like the actual clap. That's okay. My, that's my all-time favorite. Like, yes. like the namaste one or the actively clapping one? <laughs> actively clapping. Okay, <laughs> cool. That's you. Well, nice to meet your emoji. So putting that and some of these other things in the subject line, get some percent increase in your open rates. Badass. Now that's an example of a singular focus, specific channeled growth hack? Yes. Um, cool. and, and you're going to see tons of that just by, if you live on LinkedIn, you're going to see stories of growth hacks that are very similar to that. Um, so okay. Josh Vector is a very, he's a, he's a very prolific figure, um, in the growth world. What's and he, Josh Fector, F-E-C-H-T-E-R. Um, he, he provides both growth hacks and actual true growth marketing functions. Sweet. So, this is a great segue into what is the definition of growth marketing? First, uh, what up, Josh? Shout out. <laughs> so, so he does those, so we should probably check him out for, for some individual growth hacks. Just, well, he does both. He does both. Um, okay. He does both. So uh, his, his constant uh, um, hustle is figuring out how to uh, growth hack LinkedIn. How does yeah. he get comments, views? Um, so he, he's specialized himself in specific channels as well. I, okay. I consider those growth hacks. Um, because they're specific channels. They're, they're, and, they're, and they're usually so small. Um, they maximize some, uh, whether it's like impressions or reach or clicks, it usually, it usually um, impacts some metric that might not necessarily be your core KPI. Right. Got it. Cool. What's uh, the other thing? So growth marketing. Growth that's, marketing. Ah. That's, the, that's the one that actually affects some North Star KPI or some, um, some core KPI that is crucial to your business. Something so for, the CMO might care about, the CEO would care about, that kind of thing. Oh, yes. Yeah. So these um, are the stories to tell those guys as opposed to, hey, I bumped my, bouncer, uh, my open rate by a few percent. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So, and this is typically um, cross-functional. What, and what I mean by that is usually it's not just marketers that are involved. Usually it's um, if you have a product, oh. product people are involved, um, engineering potentially. Um, a great example of this would be uh, 
using, say, a community to increase your revenue. Um, now, this is usually also somewhat long term. Um, a lot of people think about when they'll, they'll, they'll see like a blog post. I know you guys have experienced this. You'll see like a blog post and it's like um, uh, Airbnb grew up to, uh, they IPO'd in like less than two years. Uh, and you'll read these growth stories um, yeah. and you'll think and you'll assume, oh, like I'm not good at my job because I'm not accomplishing that in that amount uh, of time. Yeah. But in reality, there's a whole pre-story to a lot of what these companies go oh, through true. and it, and it takes, it can, it can take upwards of like three, four years to see a huge result like that. And right. a lot of people see it and they think it's overnight. Um, so that's a myth. I definitely want to punch in the face, but then also to so not overnight. So it, it is not, overnight. Is not an overnight thing. Cool. Oh gosh, no. Um, and, and typically a lot of like the growth, uh, the growth function. Yes. Like marketing is a huge part of that. Um, and it does take time. Uh, the best way that I've been taught to approach it has always been think of it in terms of experiments. Mm. You're running experiments and totally. it's, it's to improve some core KPI, signups, revenue, um, pipeline acceleration. It's, it's to improve that. Yeah. Uh, it can include specific growth hacks. That's totally a thing. Sure. Um, but yeah, it definitely doesn't happen overnight though. That is, that is the myth. So growth hacking versus growth marketing. That's cool. And success is not overnight, but it sounds like even with growth, mar uh, growth marketing, it's cross-functional. So success isn't just limited to one team. It's across the organization. It's almost like an organizational success, organizational experiment. And if it works, organizational success. Cool. Would you call yourself a growth marketer then? I would say definitely for, um, for my clients, 100%. Their okay. number one goal, they all have the same challenge, and it's to get customers. Yeah. Um, and, or it's to get traffic, which then leads to customers. Um, I 100%, uh, I, I cover the, the growth function. I cover that base. So that's exactly what I help them with. Is um, growth another name for like experimenting or science? Sciencing? Or it is, absolutely. Is it? I mean, I think, I think that's the way to approach it. Yes. It's, it's, you're running tests, you're running experiments. Um, there's, you, there's no guarantee except knowledge. You're that's going cool. to learn something. Reminds me of Matt Damon in the Martian. Do you see that? I did. I love that movie. There, yeah. I love the book, the movie, all of it. Uh, but at one point he's like, I'm going to science the shit out of this. So that, <laughs> that sounds like a good growth marketing slogan. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so it's cross-functional. Now, what about channels? Because there's multiple channels. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I definitely think that channels are involved. Ultimately, it depends on what, you're, what needle you're trying to move. Right. Um, but uh, one of the best books to read on this, and this is truly from a growth marketing expert, um, but... Uh, the book Growth Hackers by Sean Ellis. So I mentioned his name earlier. Uh, and I, I just think that that book is, is a crucial resource for people who have very big needles to move, but they're not exactly sure how. Um, and uh. so he's, to me, he's kind of like uh, uh, definitely like the prolific figure there. Got it. What, and that book's called Growth Hacker? Growth Hackers. Growth hackers. Cool. I could see people with like green shaded glasses looking at nine monitors on the wall. 
hacking their their marketing experiment or their their pipeline really their funnel that's cool Completely. Uh, now i have a question i think we were talking about this earlier talking about the fact that channels don't just exist in isolation and you've seen a lot of people doing things like facebook ads or just some random random channel some random you know attempt at adwords or whatever the case is just for the sake of it Mm-hmm. Can you speak to that? I mean, it's it's crazy. It's nonsense. Don't do it. I guess is if you were going to punch that, but maybe you could punch that a couple times. Yeah, Keep that up. You're right. Um, and we did talk about this. Channels don't exist in isolation, and yeah. it's something that uh, I see a lot of marketers do. And um, a, a lot of companies actually will come to me and they'll say like, um, like we really, we really know that we need to like fix our AdWords. Um, strategy, but it, and it's not working, um, and we're not exactly sure why. Um, right. We would love for you to come in and take a look at it. And usually, my first, I usually have a number of questions, but one of the first ones is definitely, "What are you trying to accomplish?" Yeah, that's smart. <laughs> that's that's the sign that you know what you're talking about. Because the people that don't, someone will complain about some symptom hey, my leg hurts, and they'll just try to fix your leg. It may not be your leg. Right. It could be your hip. Um, could be your hip. Yeah. could be the hip. could be um, your forward head neck posture. Uh, you need be. to go to the chiropractor. <laughs> get yourself a stand-up desk. That's what you need to get. Um, but yeah, so AdWords, and, and this is not to blame AdWords or even Facebook ads, which is another very common one. A lot of founders, especially, they, um, their number one question in addition to many others, is also always, um, should, well, shouldn't I be running Facebook ads? And again, my, right. my number one question uh, is, what are you trying to accomplish? And it's like, oh, well, I, I want to get more free trial signups. It's like, okay, right. great. Um, from who? <laughs> right. And then from there, it, the, it, okay, great. So you want to get it from like these specific people. Um, well, where do they live? It's like, well, I don't really know. Um, and it's, well, we need to start there. <laughs> And it's not to not to say that Facebook ads and LinkedIn um, and Google AdWords are not valuable channels. They they're extremely powerful channels. Um, but if you approach them as if they're in isolation from the rest of your business and from your customer specifically, there you can optimize and um, growth hack uh, those to death. If if that's not where your prospect is, um, it's never it's, it's never, never going to work. Right? It's not yeah. going to work for you. And you know, I'll I'll call them out too. Facebook and AdWords are really good um, at taking your money. Now they'll give you clicks in exchange, but it's up to you to make sure those are the clicks that you want. Those are the people you actually want, and they don't really bear any sort of burden or responsibility to make sure. And and AdWords for sure, I've seen that get expensive. But Facebook, holy moly! You tell it the budget you have is two hundred. Before you hit enter, that's gone. So you really need to, you know, I think you're, you're pointing out a good fact here. A lot of folks, especially non-marketers, leaders of startups, and I know you do a lot of work with uh, founders, and we're going to talk about that with your company, uh, but a lot of folks untrained, and we're guilty of it as marketers, but they put the tactic before the strategy, right? Let's, mm-hmm. let's go do AdWords. Let's go do Facebook. That's a great strategy. But who are you going after? What do you want? What are you trying to get them to do? It, it it always I cringe and have a little freak out moment when I click on a an AdWords link and just cost somebody like four dollars and I go to their homepage. Don't 
take me to your homepage. You spent $4 to get me. I look at your homepage. I'm like, why am I even here? Okay, I'm gone. But you promised me something. And this is what happens. In an ad, we promise something. And I know you know this. We, we promise something in an ad. We promise that we're amazing, some sort of value prop, and that they get something. Hey, you're going to get this guide or this PDF or this really cool thing or free shipping, whether it's B2C or B2B, and you click on that and you get to that page, you better have a page specific for that ad saying exactly what you just saw, which is, you know that thing? Don't worry. It wasn't a trick. Yes, we still are amazing. And yes, you still do get this amazing PDF that will solve all your problems. And just fill out this quick little form, right? But you have, to pro- you have to follow through on that and have a landing page. And that's really where we get into marketing automation and all sorts of other stuff. But if you just go ahead and do, do a test with AdWords, it, it's almost like it's a little dangerous these days, or a lot dangerous, to be playing around in those. You know? And that's where people like you come in handy because you can tell them how it is, but also set this thing up so they don't just burn through their capital. Right. And this, this is also, I mean, this 100% goes back to the conversation just about um, it doesn't exist in isolation, but also in terms of where are you people, where, where are you driving people to and yeah. where are they in their journey? If they're bottom of the funnel, don't try to get them to sign up for a webinar. Right. Get them to sign up for a demo. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, and, and this sounds so obvious and I think like I've spent, I've spent years relearning a lot of the same lessons. Um, but especially with, with, and this is, this is true for really any channel, but especially for paid acquisition channels, mm-hmm. um, anything PPC or CPL related, um, you're, you have to ask a lot of like those high level strategic questions. And also, um, you get to the tactical pieces later, but yeah. figuring out where this channel fits and especially just in your overall journey and it sounds really dumb, but like, what is the one thing you want them to do next? Um, that's, that's where you start seeing those channels really pay off, especially yeah. if your customers are there. Cause like we said, if they're not, then it doesn't, you know, throw it out, come back to it later. <laughs> yep. You know, what next? It's totally huge because you know, one of the things that we've seen too, cause we help people set up Pardot left and right all the time. And I love Pardot, but like any other amazing tool you need to have a strategy first and so we realize a lot of people are treating that like a like a tactic and you really any marketing automation platform you don't just roll in there you gotta you gotta have a strategy so we really kind of created this i don't know if it's a pyramid or whatnot but it's strategy process then technology and you talking about what next that's process you got to know what the next step is if you're not sure probably shouldn't spend that money on getting someone to do the first step if you're not sure what the next step is and the step after that and step after that. Otherwise, you have people just fall off the bandwagon. Um, there was a company we're, we were working with and before we started working with them or we went back and looked at what happened, they had spent a million dollars. They're like, okay, this year we want to grow. So we're going to spend a million dollars to grow this year. And at the end of the year, they, they, it had been flat. So nothing had happened. They were the same they were the previous year without that spend of a million dollars. And you're thinking, man, you could have gone to Vegas. You know, it could have been hangover part five. And wait, is there four yet? One of those. And (laughs) you could have just made a bonfire, you know, and just bonfire at Burning Man or something. But they would have been just as effective as whatever you did last year with that million dollars. And what we realized was that they had, really smart uh, CMO, VPs, 
their go-to-market strategy was awesome. And they had all the right tools. They had Salesforce, they had Pardot, all the right tools. What were they missing? Process. Things were going in different directions, almost like one of those mad pipe games. And a lot of that million dollars was just flying off into the ether. And especially when you connect to like a sales team, you got to make sure it's all flowing one long process. So they, they quickly corrected that and, and didn't have that, that problem the next year. But man, that knowing what's next is so important. It is. And I, I love, I love the framework just hearing it. I can, I can see it in my head. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think a lot of marketers get stuck too, but just because, um, especially when a channel is new or we're, oh, sure. we, we know that we need to get strong with it. Um, uh, or you have a, a beastly platform like a Salesforce or a Pardot. Uh, beast. And is that beast- in a good way? Is that like beast mode? In a good oh, way, totally. or is it okay? I mean, right. I'm I'm a, I'm very much a firm believer in that. Uh, <laughs> it it's usually rarely the tool; it's always how you use it. Yeah. I'm a big believer in that. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, but I, I think especially too, we we want to. Well, there are some shitty tools, you know. Oh, totally. I mean, I don't think that that's <laughs> right. Uh, but to your point, you could have a great tool, and it still doesn't even matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is definitely for that bucket of tools uh, and yeah. technologies where this is like. Uh, it, it's a great tool. Um, it's totally how you implement it, how you're right. leveraging it and where. Uh, right. But I think a lot of us, like we get stuck on wanting to perfect those pieces and not really thinking about um, the bigger picture, which, which is both strategy, but then also the process. Like what, what, is, what does this journey look like? What does this flow look like? Um, and what are the variables that can change these things? Um, True. All of that goes into planning for this kind of stuff. But Totally. Totally. So you're doing this now. So you've had, I'm looking at, you know, I looked at your LinkedIn earlier. You've worked at all sorts of really cool places and done all sorts of amazing things. Your background kind of reminds me of mine and just, Oh, that looks, that looks fun. Let's go do that and do this and all sorts of fun things. So you've collected all these experiences and it looks like now you're doing your own thing. Is that, is that what's happening? It is. So I, I mean, my marketing career has been, um, I've consulted enterprise companies. I've, I've also run in-house marketing for, uh, a technology consulting firm. And then I went to SaaS and then I went into startup world, which got tons of fun experience, um, over at Terminus and Flip My Funnel and then at Hall. Uh, and I, I was seeing the same trend over and over again. And um, this, this is also just my experience, but yeah. I've almost always reported to a technical founder um, or yeah. a technical CMO. Yeah. Uh, and usually the story is um, they have this brilliant vision for the product, the company, but they don't necessarily have the hands to do it or mm. to, to get it there. And also, um, a lot of times technical founders, they don't necessarily have the marketing experience. Sometimes they do, and then they're especially dangerous. Uh, but when right. they don't, and they need to invest in that talent, um, they would go and they would hire and build out a marketing team. You're, you're and, right. It gets more dangerous, the more experience <laughs> they have. Cause, oh, I got this. Let me go set my, my AdWords daily, daily max to one grand. It couldn't possibly get to one grand on, on <laughs> Facebook. It's like, yeah, it could actually. <laughs> so, so you've seen some trends. So what, what other things have you seen? So you've worked with a lot of tech founders and I know immediately in my head, I'm thinking, you know, they don't know how to communicate. They're not thinking about the audience as much as the technology. You know, it's probably a little bit broad strokes, but what kind of things have you seen 
because uh, it sounds like this has really sort of formed itself into like a passion of yours is working with these kind of organizations. Yes. I, I, think, I think the biggest trend um, is when, when you have such an aggressive growth goal, um, and a lot of, a lot of SaaS company startups, they almost always have super aggressive growth goals. Totally. Um, and, and it makes a lot of sense. They could be VC funded and that's kind of driving the growth. Yeah. You got a runway, um, got to hit it. Yep, yeah. exactly. And, um, what, what I get really passionate about is a lot of those founders, they don't know where to start. Right. Uh, and if they're a little bit further along, they don't know how to set the foundation for sustained long-term growth. Right. And, and that's, that's where, um, like my experience has always been building marketing engines, right. um, implementing the right platforms, building the right processes, but then also running the right campaigns, working with the sales team. Um, what channels do I tap into, uh, working with the community, um, events, conferences, I mean like the full shebang. But one right. thing that, uh, I always come back to over and over is working with that technical founder. Um, or just technical leader. It could, yeah. they, they might not be the CEO, but they could be the CMO. Right. Um, and that is always something that um, I get really passionate about because I am, I'm such a helper. Like I want to help. Uh, I want to teach at the same exact time I want to do. And right. that is kind of where um, when I started Demand Maven, I wanted to focus on those exact people. Now, the other part to this is coaching and mentoring other marketing leaders. Uh, so. Cool. Yeah. So I've also had the privilege of working with some incredibly talented marketers, um, some whom I've hired and I've trained and kind of thrown out into the world. Yeah. <laughs> and then others that um, came with just a wealth of knowledge, experience, things that I, that like people who taught me. And, sure. it, and it, it, I mean, it was just over the years, I've had the opportunity to work with some incredibly talented marketers, people who I would, I'm just like bowing down to. They're just, yeah. they're so talented. Um, I'm like, can I be like you when I grow up? <laughs> I know, totally. I have the same feeling when I interview people on here. I'm just like, <laughs> you, I, I may have had like eight years of marketing automation experience, but I get on these podcasts and I learned, I mean, I, I had no idea about some of the even things that we're talking about. And so, yeah, that almost like a kid in a candy store, just just keep going. I'm right. I'm writing it down. I got this legal pad over here. I got plenty of paper over here. Um, but that's cool. That's actually something we share is that, that how we, we care about marketers because we are them and wanting to give back, you know, giving is way cooler than, you know, going and getting things and it's really fulfilling. So have you, have you started coaching people then on the marketing side or what, what does that look like? I feel, I mean, I've, uh, it's, I don't, I don't think of it as this, um, like super formalized thing, but definitely on the mentoring side. Well, and it probably, probably should be, but I, I definitely mentor, um, 100%. There's, there are the marketers who, um, are very junior, they're very early in their career and they're not exactly too sure how to prioritize their department. Um, sometimes, sometimes they're given a whole department. And it's just like, you got to figure it right. out. Um, I've been, been there. there. Uh, yeah. been there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there are the marketers who um, they do come from a marketing background. Like they, right. they, they have the experience, um, but they, they might have trouble um, getting buy-in from their leaders. Oh yeah. Politics. Influencing others. Yes. Politics. Yeah. It's a thing. And we like to think that it doesn't exist, but, it, but 
bet I, I, I like anyone who comes to me who's like, yeah, we don't really have politics in the company. Like, let's let's place a bet on that. You know what? Someone, I hate politics because I care so much, and I hate when people lie and are are not truthful and all that. Um, and that's like the that's the worst that's the worst kind of politics is like seeing <laughs> the news. But but you're right. But if you even Google, the, I think the definition of politics, it, it's it's really just talking to people about what your point is and trying to get your point across. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it happens in organizations and you don't have to have the negative kind. You can have the transparent kind. And if totally. you believe in something, you fight for it. And that, that's more of the open, honest type of politics, if you will. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that can be challenging for marketers as they get out of that do role into more of the managed role. And the lead role and the, the influence. How, yeah. do you, how do you influence others? And not, and you're exactly right. Um, so caveat for the listeners, definitely not in the negative way. But in, in the way where y- you really need to launch a project or launch a campaign because you know it's going to get success, um, or at least you have a very strong inclination that it will, and you need the buy-in from other leaders, yeah. uh, the buy-in from the sales leader, uh, buy-in from product if you have product, or uh, maybe it's your project manager or whomever, um, your VP of ops, uh, figuring out how to navigate those relationships um, and also get people to say yes, uh, because they believe in what you're trying to do. I do find that most, um, I've, I've very rarely ever come across, uh, people who are just like, no, we're not doing that. It's usually, um, yes, but either before or after this project. <laughs> right. Um, so, and that's kind of something to navigate as well. Um, so I, I absolutely help, uh, fellow marketers with that. And, um, it's, it's totally just the, like, well, what are the steps that you take? Well, you need to put a one-to-one on their calendar, meet with them regularly, like get to know yeah. them. Um, cause the, the people that you need on your side, so to speak, uh, or people who could help you push things forward, the, that's where you start building the relationships and also how you start managing expectations as well. Cause it goes both ways. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Relationships, expectations, you know, it, it, one of the things you reminded me of too, it, with influence and it's true, especially as you're, you're rising up the ranks, or if you're new at a company, you tend to have the ability to make changes quicker, right? You're brand new at a company. Hey, I want to smash everything and build it from scratch. And people are like, well, the last guy sucked. So yeah, go, go for it. But right about three months in, now, you, now you're, you've been there for a while. And so when you want to bring up new things, I, I've seen this shift when I when I was you know, moving from this to job to that job, it makes it sound like I, I was a gypsy, but you know, you go to a new job and people are listening to you and it's amazing and they want to hear, but then eventually that shifts to, I don't know what that is. And I've worked at some really bad companies, so bad cultures and all that. But I just remember feeling it like a palpable shift where it goes from um, just, yeah, they're going with it too. You really have to crank up the influence game. If you're not prepared for that, then it, it, it can be really disastrous. And you know, I think it was a book I was reading on, on leadership and power, the idea of power versus influence. Power, you can just say, this is what's happening. You know, do what I say, which is never actually really a good idea. Even if you have the power, you should be doing influence. And influence is, is like, I can't control you um, in whatever degree, shape, or form. But this is, to your point, this is really important. This is going to really help us. Let me get you on my side. And it's, it's important to know how to do that. And they don't teach that in school, you know? It's true. Uh, I, think, I think the closest that we get to school is like, 
um, popularity contests, <laughs> but, but even True. then, <laughs> True. Like, it's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> True. I don't know. I don't, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All the cringes. I don't think, I don't think anything does. Going. I think there's like 1% of people that are like, yeah, I was super popular in school. <laughs> like, um, man, I didn't get bullied. Not He's like, oh, then you were the bully. <laughs> so, right, exactly. <laughs> right? Or, or it's the person in a conference where everyone else, do you hear that echo? Do you hear that echo? And one person's like, I don't hear any echo. It's like, you're the one making it then. Um, so, yeah, influence. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was going to say nothing, nothing in school quite teaches you that, right? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I, I, I don't know if you've done, um, I volunteered for a, it's like a nonprofit, it was an association. I volunteered to be in the, on the board and this was my first, I mean, I've worked at places where I had a little influence and power and whatnot. You know, I've run a company where you have power, but you need to use influence, but man, nothing teaches you influence like a committee for a nonprofit, no one, <laughs> no one has any power and the people, and I could sit back and laugh at the people that roll in. And, um, this, one of the boards I joined was actually full of CEOs. So all these people that are just used to controlling everything and you see this person roll in there and they try to do the power thing and everyone's like, nah, <laughs> you just you were getting nowhere because they were trying to do the power thing and they needed to do influence and influence there's a couple people in that group who are so nice and supportive and friendly and happy when they have an idea it's just amazing and one of them we actually Volin told him he was going to be the chair of the board because he's just so hard-working and nice he, he could have asked anything of us we probably would have given it to him because he just had that influence i love that i love i love the Yes. I mean, that, that to me is like the aspirational model of, of, um, never manipulative, always helpful, right. always, yeah. um, just like you wear your heart on your sleeve and, uh, yeah, totally transparent. I love that. So this is really cool. And we'll, we'll have to keep talking more about this, uh, you know, coaching, mentoring marketers, because maybe there's something we can collaborate on with this. Um, cause I love it. And, and we can figure out some ways that we can help people at whatever stage they're at in the journey. You know, early on, it's like, you know, you need to know some core strategy. You, you could spend five years learning it the hard way like we have, or we could just tell you and you could you know, indoctrinate that. Um, and, you know, that's actually a really good point, too, because you mentioned when you're working with these tech founders, this is like taking us way back to earlier. You mentioned sometimes they just, the early stage, they don't know where to start. So... Mm-hmm. If I were to ask you, where do you start? You have a tech founder. They get this really cool, really app. cool app. They got something amazing. What do you do? Where do you start? So the the first question that I do um, in my marketing strategy calls is typically, uh, tell me the story of how you built this and why. For, oh, I and, love that. Um, founder stories to me are just deeply interesting and satisfying to hear, but just because it's always coming from a place of, uh, I saw this problem and I wanted to fix it. Yeah. And, and, and usually the next question after that is, um, well, for who? And they almost always have an idea of who, even if they can't point to a customer yet they usually have a vision of someone in mind. Um, one of my clients, they 
Um, they're, they're this really cool project management tool. They're called Rindle. I don't think that they would mind me saying that. Shout out. Really cool project. Hey, project management, I don't think it's solved yet for sure, <laughs> but there are like a thousand apps that do it. So they, um, the two co-founders for Rindle, they, they come from years of project management experience, cool. um, for agencies and, uh, they didn't want a tool that was, um, as beefy as like Jira. But they didn't. Yeah, oh God! Yeah. <laughs> that, that beefy is a perfect word for Jira. Damn. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And at the same exact time, they wanted something that was more powerful than like Asana or Trello. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so they built Rindle, and Rindle. that story is almost. Um, I mean, there's many more twists and turns. Yeah. Um, but that story is ultimately the story that I'm looking for whenever I talk to a founder, uh, because they built it with project managers in mind. And mm. that to me is, okay, great. That's the who. Um, and I understand the why. This was the problem. This is how they decided to solve it with this product. Um, now let's talk to who. And after that, uh, the, the conversation usually blossoms into, um, you know, like, well, if you had to pick, if you, if you had like just an idea of someone who would be a perfect customer, who would it be? And, and there's usually a story of like, well, it would be me or it would be right. um, my friend, Tom, or what have you. And, and then from there, we reverse, we do a lot of reverse engineering. Hmm. Um, and then after that, the, the strategy gets set in place. We start the, and, and more, the more, um, I don't want to say traditional pieces of marketing strategy, but definitely uh, high level business strategy. And then of course, tearing down into marketing we now know why the business exists, um, what you're trying to solve and for who. And so now, now that we know the who, now we can reverse engineer what, what we think at least is going to be the marketing process. You know, I love that you, you essentially started with why, you know, why did you do this? And then hey, Simon Sinek would be happy. He's nodding his head. There's yeah. like a nod head meme going on. Like Simon Sinek saying, yeah, you did a good job. <laughs> and then from there, it's like, who is this for? And I think those two questions are, so powerful and from there you literally are creating their entire marketing strategy and you're starting not with the tactics but the strategy and and really the highest level questions you possibly can yeah and and every um a, a lot of founders too are in different stages some of them know exactly who they need to talk to um and they really do just need to understand what channels and strategies are available to me and yeah. um from there, it's, it's okay, let's start talking to some customers, if you, especially if they already have some. Yeah. Um, in talking to customers, it's a practice that every marketer, I think, needs to place as high as possible on their list of priorities, just from my perspective. But it's because I think we get really used to not doing it. Um, oh, yeah. Totally. We, we get used to not doing it. And um, it gets really comfortable to not talk to customers. <laughs> Or at least it can. Yeah. Uh, but customers, I mean, they're, they will tell you where, where they hang out, what content they read, what thought leaders they look to, what influencers, yep. um, what, what content's helpful for them, what's not, what's annoying. Um, they, will, they will give you so much information. Um, and just doing it is honestly like the hardest part. And so a lot of founders, um, especially if I'm working with another marketing consultant, um, we almost always say like, we have to talk to customers. Like that is, 
step number one before we even put money into AdWords <laughs> or what have you. Let's talk, let's talk to customers. You know, it's, I love that progression and not that people can do it on their own. Give a, uh, the man may have a little, little shout, give them a little call and have them walk you through this. You know, sometimes you just need someone to ask you the question. You know, you can ask yourself. It's like reading a self-help book versus hearing one versus talking to someone and interacting with them. So you're asking these questions. Yeah, they can just, you know, ask themselves the questions, but it's almost like the question after the first, okay, so that was your, st- well, why did you do that? And why did you do that? And who is this for? Is it really for them? It just that person to really poke and prod. And then from there, talking to the actual customers, if they have any uh, early on. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of information out there says you don't need like a bajillion customers. You just need you know, a hundred or a thousand customers that just love you, love what you do, as opposed to, you know, 200 that nah, they'll dump you as soon as they lose budget, you know? Something. <laughs> right. Right. And, That's and cool. even, even the 200 that would dump you if they lose budget, understanding why. Um, yeah. If, if, still call if, them to your point. Yeah. I like it. Exactly. Still talk to them because they might tell you um, maybe what you need to fix or uh, how you can segment out those people as maybe not great fits. They're not mm-hmm. MQLs. Um, so you'll, you'll call them then, huh? You'll call the customers. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I will so, totally talk to customers. Love it. So, okay. You're in this position or you got this startup and you know, you've asked, you've asked yourself why you've done the who, but now you don't want to call your customers. <laughs> call Asia. She'll call them for you and, uh, and meet them and chat and find out what, what's making them tick, what's making them stay or not stay. Oh man, it's so important. And we talked to a few people about that and the different ways you can do that. There's there's patterns you can follow. There's templates, but most importantly, it's get on the phone. You know, get on the phone and have that connection with someone. That's really important. So Rindle, R I N D A L, is that R I N D L E? R I N D D L E. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. We'll have to check that out. Give a little shout out. Hey, what's up, Rindle? We'll check you guys out. Hey, I'm, well, we're always looking. And I've tried, you know, we, this would be a really boring podcast, but I, we, could talk, we could talk about all the different project management tools we've tried over the, over the years. Like, oh, this one, to your point, too beefy, not beefy enough. So they got a good story. I hope they can follow through. I'll definitely want to check them out. Um, the second part is, you mentioned earlier, you love creating growth machines. So we've done this early stage stuff. We've done the process we need to, to do. We've asked the right questions. We've talked to customers. And now you're, or you've, maybe they've already done this and you get to work with them. And now you probably still have to ask them like questions again. <laughs> but now we're building a growth machine. We're building, to your point, you, wrote, uh, you said foundation for long-term growth, which I really like because sometimes in marketing or really anything, we're like distracted by the next shiny thing. We try LinkedIn ads and they work for four months and then they stop working. And do we do the next shiny thing and the next shiny thing as opposed to being deliberate and creating that growth machine? So how do you start creating that? Yeah. So this looks different depending on the type of product or service that you have um, and your customers and also your price point. um, So how you price. Uh, But I, the common denominator is the website. Interesting. 
And this kind of goes back to, we were talking about um, content on the website. Yep. Uh, but the for, for, for 90% of marketers, I would say the website is their first line of defense. Interesting. This, is some, this is something that I tell every single founder. Um, but the website is your first line of defense. And the reason why is because we don't necessarily have brick and mortars anymore where if someone wants to buy right. your product, they come into your store. The website is the brick and mortar. Right. And people make snap decisions based off of the experience, the message, uh, design even. I, I lump that into experience, but I have to pull it out just yeah. because it's so important. <laughs> um, and also, I mean, just the way that you position your product is also going to be the way that you position your website. Um, and especially who it's for, all of those things have to mold into a great experience. And especially if that's how people are um, signing up for your newsletter or signing up for a webinar or uh, requesting a demo, signing up for a free trial. If, and there's a, there's a huge chance that all of that is happening through the website. Um, right. Investing in that. That's typically where we start because all of the outbound emails that you send on, like on behalf of your sales team, um, everything from like the ads that you curate to your promotion strategies, if all of that leads to a website that doesn't convert people and the messaging isn't on point, the experience isn't on point, um, all of that work will be for nothing. It's not going to convert. You might get a few yeah. people who are willing to give you a chance because they are early adopters, um, but you usually can't bank on that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, a shitty website is not going to help you at all. In fact, I think what you're smashing here is that it's way more important than we give it credit for. I think a lot of us have overlooked it because there's so many other shiny things. There's so many other cool things we can create. And we forget that the site, it's the core of what you, all these extensions. And we forget about it. So investing in your website, and I wrote down doing it smart doing it smart assuming you've asked those questions that you just talked about the why the who and you have some strategies in mind now you build it because sometimes the opposite happens where every time a new marketer comes into a company they want to change the website you know and i just okay what are you gonna what are you gonna make different but that being said the flip side is not investing at all in it and or not having any strategy whatsoever and then you just look like a joke when they get to you and then you know, people, we have subconscious, we, we judge things by the look, by the feel, um, some things, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way, but that website, you know, it, it's not defensible. Now, if you have drift or something, you can chat with people, but still, you know, you need to, need to be impressive. And to your point, it's the flow, the design, not just, and also the copy. So every part of that, How, every part of it. Yeah. Interesting. So, so this is one of the things in, you're creating a growth engine. You're like, okay, we need to, we need to plan for this site to be this machine. And from there, after that, I mean, we also take a look at, okay, after we've kind of identified um, what the strategy is going to be, who we're talking to, where these customers even are. Yeah. We, we do go back to the, this, to the website. Um, but then also we start assessing what technology investments we might need to make. Mm -hmm. Um, based off of what potential campaigns we might want to start running. Right. And every company is in a different situation. Um, but some, some, it, for some companies, it makes a lot of sense to, okay, let's go ahead and start looking at paid acquisition first. 
um, because there's some very real bottom of the funnel traffic here. Um, we also have, there's an immediate need and based off of the flow, the price point, we could probably see some results very fast sure. and that will just further the process. Uh, it will continue to inform the process. Um, others, we might decide, uh, that, well, we really need to build out an outbound process. So, um, uh, uh, either working with the sales team that's already at the company. So yeah. there's actually, there, there's a prospect that I have. Um, he doesn't have a marketing team at all. He only has account execs, SDRs. Um, they are, they are growing by sales, which is great. Um, right. but he recognizes the need for marketing. For and so, sure. And so what I'm coming in and I'm doing is, is um, and this is me leveraging all of my demand gen <laughs> backbone and like working with SDR yeah, teams, totally. but um, coming in and saying like, okay, well, what does the sales process look like? And where do you need marketing to kind of come in and help? Because sales can't do it all by themselves. Um, right. There's a very real need for content. There's a very real need to make sure that the website experience is good enough to convert well enough to convert into revenue. Um, and then there's also what are the funnels that we haven't totally truly tracked and um, plugged. So the leaky right. funnel is like the thing that yeah, um, process killer. Yes, it's the process. It, it, yes, you will live and you will die by it. <laughs> totally. um, but I mean, the same is true for strategy, but also especially like the actual actual execution of. Um, but so every company will look a little bit different depending on a number of factors, but. Um, usually that next step is the, the big question of, well, how do we get customers now? So right. Shift and that, into that, and that can, acquisition mode, where are they going to be at? Where can we test? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. You know, this is actually a perfect lead into that thing that I promised people at the very beginning, your story about how you doubled conversion rates, just doing a few, a few things. How about you want to share that now? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So when so I'm rolling up my sleeves, I don't have sleeves. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm rolling them up anyways. I will too. Yeah. Cool. I, so my previous, um, role, I was head of marketing for a tech startup. We focused on data integration for, um, a number of tools, but okay. we were kind of like the data layer beyond just CRM. This was the data layer for all of your, all of your technologies. Okay. And very, very powerful platform and, and very cool. Um, when I first started, we thought that the persona or that the, the primary ICP was going to be marketing and sales, marketing and sales leaders. What's um, ICP? Uh, ideal customer profile. Love it. So our ICP at the time and specifically our persona was um, marketing leadership, sales leadership. And over time we discovered that it was actually very hard to not only explain what it was that we did, um, but to get them to, see the value enough to want to buy. Right. So, so then we actually shifted our focus more towards um, the more technical roles. So people in people with that VP of growth title, yeah. but also people with um, they, they could very easily be VP of IT or VP of technology or engineering operations. Um, so people who probably were serving marketing in some kind of way, but they were more on the data side, right? Which is a no, it sounds like a no brainer, but um, when we started moving more towards focusing on this persona, we realized that the content that they were looking for on the website wasn't there. So what was happening was we were driving people to the website that fit this persona still same, mostly the same ICP, the ICP didn't really change, 
um, is really the persona that changed. And we're driving these people to the website. We've attracted them through some content, some campaign. Sure. Um, and they were always like, there was a hesitation. Um, huh. And the reason why was because we didn't have enough information on our integrations. We didn't, our, our documentation at the time was uh, definitely a work in progress. And they were technical enough to recognize what quality looked like. And so... How did you learn that? How did you know that, one, that there was a hesitation, and two, that what the problem was? Customer interviews, but then also um, feedback. So this is something that um, I also tell a lot of founders is every time someone has a very strong objection, there's usually a hundred more people who feel the same way. They're just never going to tell you. (laughs) <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like same thing with traffic tickets. This is yeah. the first time you're speeding. <laughs> Karma's getting you for this one. <laughs> this is especially true for whenever a customer gives you feedback. Now, I think yeah. the really big question is, um, is this important enough to react to and to actually change things for? Um, or is this person maybe not your ideal persona, but you still want to respect like their opinion and like help true. them in whatever way? Like, how do you know they're not just that cranky one that you should have gotten rid of anyways versus maybe it's just if they're nice or not. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> if, they, if, they're, if they're kind, like, I love you guys, but this is horrible. Yeah. Versus, you guys suck. I'm, I'm leaving you and here's why. I guess you just grain of salt. You got to experiment, test. Yeah. Um, for us, I mean, this was, this was a prospect um, since we had shifted our focus to the more technical persona, um, we realized that in order to convince that technical persona that we were, we were valuable, we were worth it, we knew what we were doing, we needed to provide a lot more information. And um, first of all, we, we conducted a few interviews and they were very happy to tell us. Um, but at the same exact time, uh, we was got still an the email. ICP still the marketing persona or you mentioned the technical. Did you realize it was actually more of a technical buyer or... Yes. Yeah, so, um, so we, we shifted from focusing on marketers and sales to yeah. technical, like uh, the VP of engineering. Yeah. So that, um, and as we were going through that process of shifting our focus, because we found that, um, so I guess the other backstory is that they, they understood the product immediately. Like the Wait, more technical, the tech pers- okay. the, the tech guys, yeah. they understood the product immediately. They understood the value that it provided. Yeah. Um, for us, it was credibility. We needed to build the credibility. Okay, yeah, and credibility. We, yes, and um, and our our prospects told us, and they were just like, "This is what's missing for us." Um, and when we when we realized how much we needed to build into the website um, to convince the, this new persona, um, we realized it well it wasn't that hard in the first place. It just needed to happen. Sure. Uh, all of this going back to the demo request. So what we did was by focusing on this new persona, asking them the right questions, but then also having them tell us their objections, their fears. Why, aren't, why don't you request a demo? You've come this far to the website. Um, you've looked at the pricing. You've looked at all these things. Why not convert? Uh, and then they told us. And then after that, we immediately turned around and built a dozen more pages that Hell explained yeah. features, integrations, um, and also, we took a hard look at our documentation because we knew that people were going to it. Interesting. And probably not that, probably weren't falling in love with it at the time. Yeah, um, I could see tech buyers going to documentation. That seems exactly what that persona would do. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Probably one of the first things they look at. <laughs> um, yeah. 
if this thing breaks, I'm going to go here to get help and your help is horrible or your, your documentation is horrible. Yeah. Right. It, you know, it's interesting. You, sometimes we take for granted and I can fall into this trap of I market to myself and that works if I'm selling to marketers, but not necessarily if it's a different persona. So I know there's a lot of folks in uh, SaaS and IT. I, mean, I was in data integration for a while too, and it's a different buyer than ourselves. And the, the client interview showed you that. That's interesting. By implementing that content and by taking a very hard look at the experience that we were providing mm-hmm. and how we could improve it, it literally doubled our demo conversion rate. Um, and this, and then granted, this was through shifting our persona sure. to the technical buyer, but then yep. also yeah. implementing the right content. And it was 100% through that qualitative research, which was um, understanding, well, why not? Uh, yeah. And the quantitative side forced us to take a look at this because it was yes. a demo conversion rate that we weren't happy with. Right. Um, but once we did implement those changes, that's when we started to see the, the very real lift um, it, That's I mean, awesome. it, it was phenomenal. Did it happen overnight? No, <laughs> no, no. But you know, you, you, you saw the metrics. It indicated there was an issue and, you know, potential new buyer persona and you interviewed. That's so, it's so key. You just asked why, just, just tell me, just tell me what you're thinking. And then you're like, okay, we need to make some documentation to feed and serve these people, give them what they want. Suspending our own assumptions about what they want because, you know, unless you're that buyer, you still maybe need to ask them, you know, and that's cool. That's really cool. Who are you? (laughs) Where did you come from? This is good stuff. You know, sometimes we end up um, chatting about people uh, early on, but we've just geeked out for about, you know, an hour plus on marketing and process and in growth hacking and growth marketing, where did all this come from? Like this experience and, and who are you? <laughs> <laughs> where did all this come from? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, um, tell me your so, life history. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So in North Carolina and Fort Bragg, um, yeah, no. really? <laughs> yeah. Army. I'm was your, so your dad was in the army or mom or my, my father was in the army. Um, my whole family is actually military. So we've got okay. the Marines. Um, the Navy, the Air Rob Force, Marines. I like yep, that. and uh, uh, Army. So my father was airborne. Um, all right, well, and um, my stepdad is also Army. So okay. we're we're all out of it now. Right, we're not moving around everywhere. But um, for I mean, I guess like for me, it's just been an obsession with results, but then also very passionate about just learning curiosity. I'm extremely curious, like just curious about everything. And actually like the last time that we talked, we talked a little bit about this too. Um, have a million different hobbies. (laughs) Yes. Right. It was like a hobby of the month club, right? Or something like that. Pretty much. The running joke is, um, Asia, like, what are you into right now? And the joke is always that it's something different. Um, usually really surprising. (laughs) So what are you into now? (laughs) Okay. So right now, (laughs) thank you. I appreciate it. I, I, I try. Um, the ukulele is the first thing. Oh, right. So I play a ton of ukulele and are you, I have are you a, like pretty good at it or is it just like, you got to have a couple beers and no, I'm pretty good at it. You're pretty good at it, huh? Yeah, I'm pretty good at it. Okay. Um, I'm a big singer. I've you gonna make a YouTube YouTube. channel. Another I one. I don't know if 
I'll make another YouTube channel. I, uh, not quite like that at least, but if I do, it'll definitely be business related. Um, okay. Yeah. But for the uke, at least, uh, if you, if we ever end up at the same conferences, I will definitely be bringing it and just walking around and playing because that it's fun. Totally. Uh, <laughs> totally. Maybe you can get in for free doing that. Being <laughs> flip my funnel, be like, would you like a musical performance? <laughs> hit me up uh, with a free ticket and I'll, I'll play uke all over the place. That and also stand up. So Very I cool. took. I took a stand-up course, um, and I'm, I don't think I'm that funny, but I took a stand-up course if, over the Christmas yeah, break. Yeah, you're definitely not. No, I'm just the worst. <laughs> um, but took the stand-up course, and it was an all-women stand-up comedy class here in Atlanta, and cool. it was one of the most phenomenal experiences I think I've ever um, been a part of, yeah. witnessed, but then also participated in. Um, and this it is was up. This isn't improv. I mean, improv is arguably, in my opinion, a little easier because you can just play off of stuff and be silly with four other people, nine other people. Stand up. You, this is literally like open mic night type thing where you're standing up there by yourself, telling a joke, and people are like, "Okay, make me laugh, Asia." Let yeah. Me laugh. Oh yeah. The, so you're you on stage. Like, and they, they trained you how to do that, or how do you even train someone to do that? <laughs> can you make someone so, funny? Everyone is funny. It's cool. really, like it's really about how you present that funny and how you find, how you find that funny and then also project it to the world. Yeah. Um, so everyone is funny. And I, I know that people are listening and they're just like, I'm, I'm super not funny, but, um, you absolutely are. If, if you laugh, you're funny. Uh, and the reason why is because laugh if if you laugh at things you can recognize funny which means yeah. that, that and if you can identify something you can you can typically embody it it's what um, you laugh at yeah totally oh 100% so for me um huh. i'm not a very big i don't watch a ton of comedy shows i think like the golden girls is like as close as i get <laughs> i'm real like and and i do watch a lot of stand up but yeah. um uh, lace Larrabee was she's uh, the comic, but then also the teacher. So mm. she was pretty much like everyone likes, ver finds very specific things funny. So for me, um, mm. I love callbacks. That's when you have a joke at the beginning of a set and then they make a callback to it later on in the set and you literally die laughing because you're like, Ooh, I'm in on it. Um, Interesting. Callbacks. It, it's kind of cool. You have all this, your own vocabulary for, so I could see that making really kind of fun to watch comedy. Does it ruin it or is it still funny? But then you just even know what they're doing. No, I, more than more than anything, you understand their process. Yeah. Um, you actually think it's funnier. I so, oh, so I have. Cool. It is really cool. I actually think uh, I think a lot of stand up is even funnier now that I've gone through it. Um, the other one is misdirection. Misdirection is when um, like stand up is like one of the worst things that you can possibly do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but then it's also like one of the most rewarding things that you can possibly what do. What misdirection is? Uh, so, so misdirection is like. You start off with a statement um, that is very, it's like, it's crystal clear and you're kind of like leading the listener to, um, to believe that you're going to say something, but then you misdirect into something that's totally. Oh honest. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard some of those. Yeah. Yes. Um, so you'll start out with like, cookies are like the most amazing thing on the planet. Yeah. They're really tasty. They also make you real fat. Right. Like, totally, like <laughs> they're. Uh, that's a baby example but like it's it's yeah you like it's like you're setting people up they're like oh i know what you're gonna say i've heard this joke before and it's like slip wham like nope just kidding something else 
I love misdirection. It's so good. Um, so anyway, yeah. Uh, as far as like the process, I mean, I honestly don't know how she did it. I just think that she's um, a brilliant comic. <laughs> and somehow she again? Lace Larrabee. So L A C E, just like just like real lace. Um, and then last name is Larrabee. L A R R A B E E. She's been in a number of shows. She's been on television. Um, she's pretty prolific on social as well. I highly recommend finding her totally. and following her. She's hilarious. Uh, was there like a, a, a school, what class or was it a club that you took the school at? She, she has the entrepreneurial did. mindset. She wow. just did it. She said, uh, you know what? There aren't enough. Well, there aren't enough women comics. There just aren't enough. Yeah. Um, and and she, the ones I've seen are hilarious. So totally um, get out there, do it. She, her mission is like, I mean, obviously to be one of the best comics in the world, but then also to crank out other female comics. Like she's, That's cool. she's got a system, six week process. Um, you get up mm. on stage with a set that you build over six weeks uh, and you go in and you kill it and not a single person bombs. Like it's, it's, wow. it's unreal. Not a single person bombs. Um, so somewhere out there on the internet, there's a YouTube video of me doing stand up. <laughs> That's awesome. Totally Googling yeah. that later. Maybe we'll put <laughs> I'll send you a link. notes for people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, it's one of the most rewarding things I think I've ever done. It was absolutely fascinating. Um, it's be confidence building too. It, um, or something. It what did you get out of it other than yeah. a killer so, set? Thanks. Um, I've, more than anything, it, it was being present on stage. Oh. So I'm, I'm used to performing and I put this in finger quotes because I don't take this that seriously, but I'm used to like doing karaoke and doing all <laughs> these things on stage. Um, yeah. But when it comes to speaking and especially in that way, um, a lot of people, myself included, will black out. They're like, I don't remember doing that, but I, yeah. I said those words and I did it. Sure. Um, my goal was to be present on stage and... <sighs> I remember every single second of me doing my five minute set. Interesting. It was awesome. That was the first time I was ever really truly present. It was just, I don't have words for it apart from just awesome and amazing, which aren't enough to describe how great it was. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I've experienced both. I've experienced sharing with a, a small group, um, a set of information, telling them some stories, not really looking them in their eyes and just sort of getting the information out. And then to, looking back and think, did I even share that? And then other times, maybe it's if it's something you shared over and over again, if maybe you feel more confident about it, uh, whatever the reason, I remember it, sharing something and you've said it so many times, you're so prepared that or confident that you look out and you're actually looking for reactions and expressions and stuff that's interesting though i haven't really ever thought about deliberately being present i just sort of assume everyone blacked out but that's interesting you can <laughs> you can actually focus on that that's neat that's like a that's a ninja skill or something it is and and i i imagine too like a lot of the great speakers out there and a lot of the great leaders they're they're so present mm. and it's something that um I admire and I want to, I want to build that muscle in myself. That's really cool. 
shout out to Lace. Hey, let me in. Maybe <laughs> if I like bring like a, a wig or something, you can like put in a good word for me and let me get in the class. This sounds <laughs> awesome. This sounds really cool. Maybe it's really cool. She'll, she'll take mercy on the men and, and do a do a class for us too. <laughs> uh, but wow, what it, so being present on stage and when you're presenting, it's almost like that's the next level from you know, the Toastmasters groups where people are just nervous to even be out there in the first place. And for sure, if you're nervous, you're definitely not going to remember your body's shutting down. <laughs> you're just getting the words out. But for those of you who are more experienced and you know, I love theater too. And uh, it's like that next level to, to work on, which is being there. That's interesting. I like that. Cool. 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 Well, this has been fun. I like it's like a time warp. So before we let you get out of here, uh, where can people connect with you? You know, Twitter, LinkedIn. What's best? What you know, addresses? Um, demand Maven. Give us some stats and some some places to go so we can reach out. Yeah. So uh, I am always tweeting. <laughs> so you can find me on Twitter at Asia Matos. Okay. And, um, please reach out. I am like, I love talking to other people and just learning from other people. Um, and then the other, yes, demandmaven.io is my website. Um, so if you're interested in some of the services that I offer, but then also I do write, um, and my blog posts, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting to a place where I'm blogging much more frequently. Um, but you can definitely find my written work there and, uh, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I love connecting mm-hmm. with others as well. Um, that again, Asia Matos, uh, please connect with me on whichever one that you choose, but totally. I'm definitely looking forward to meeting the listeners. Yeah. And when you do, don't be a rude jerk. Say where you heard her. <laughs> so she knows you're not just being one of those creepy people that just want to connect on LinkedIn. Uh, say, Hey, heard you on the pack podcast. You're amazing. Teach me stand up or teach me marketing, or maybe you're a tech founder and you're like, this sounds perfect. I, I want to code. Can you please talk to these people for me? Uh, that is awesome. Well, this has been this has been great. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Uh, I I can't believe the time has gone by so. Fast. I know. Seriously, we're gonna, have to, we're gonna have to hang out in Atlanta. Maybe go skydiving or something. Maybe we'll for sure. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks again, and everyone listening. If you liked this episode as much as I did, then definitely share it. If you didn't like it, then still share it with someone uh, because why not? Uh, But thanks again to everyone listening out there. This has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We'll see you guys next time.